Welcome to the Golf Bubble with your host, Ben Harvey. I'm a golf professional with a goal to bring you the best in online golf content. I get up close and personal with tour professionals, golf coaches, and the most interesting people that I can find that work in the golf industry. Follow me online at Ben Harvey Golf Performance, or you can even join us on our public Golf Bubble Facebook group. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Well, hi there, it's Ben here from the Golf Bubble, and I am your host. I'm from Ben Harvey Golf Performance. And again, guys, thank you so much for listening in over the last three or four episodes. Really appreciate uh, Jonathan Yarwood being my last guest. And if you haven't gone to listen to Jonathan Yarwood, please do go back, listen to that podcast episode. He has got some cracking little stories about being on tour, working with tour players, working at the Masters, and so many other amazing tournaments. So again, big thanks to Jonathan. Really hope to have you again on the podcast very soon. And before we go on to our next guest, who I am just unbelievably excited to bring you. Um, you know, when people say, oh, I'm unbelievably excited, they find it very difficult to put that across. I cannot tell you just how happy I was recording with this gentleman yesterday. And before we go into the next guest, I just wanted to let you know a little bit more about me. Uh, I'll keep this nice and brief for you. Um, but about the podcast, you're probably thinking, who's this guy who keeps interviewing these fantastic people? Well, my name's Ben Harvey I'm from Ben Harvey Golf Performance, and I'm also the head golf professional at Ridgeway Golf Club in Caffili. I've been there since last August and going from strength to strength. And again, if any of my clients are listening, guys, can't wait to get back and work with you. It's been such a long lockdown. And um, in terms of a little bit more about myself, I started golf at the age of 16 years old or taking it seriously at the age of 16 years old. And part of my love for the game, I've been around the industry now since about the age of 11. Uh, so coming up to nearly 20 years now. And I'm just obsessed with the game, always been obsessed. I remember watching the television when I was younger, I used to set up the little Trinitron 13 inch television on my mum and dad's bed, plugging the aerial in the back, sticking it on BBC Two on a Thursday night in a first weekend of April, ready for the Masters to start. And that's really where the love came from was, you know, walking around my mum and dad's bedroom, holding an aerial up like we used to back in the day. No such thing as those plug in aerials uh, from, from the wall. It was, you know, stick the aerial in, flip it around and move it about and try and get the best signal that you can. So I'm a golf professional now, turned pro in 2013, and I've been working part time as a professional mostly, but now really blessed to be full time as a golf coach, uh, you know, pre-lockdown or throughout these lockdown periods. Um, in terms of my golf handicap, I turn pro off of a uh, handicap of one and also have the low round of 66 on a par 70, it was four under par, and that was at Reading Golf Club in, in a tournament. So had some really good success within the game, uh, had two hole-in-ones, uh, used to play for multiple uh, you know, first teams as an amateur at many different golf clubs in and around the Berkshire and Oxfordshire areas. I've also uh, worked with some pretty fantastic players uh, so far uh, as a golf coach, anywhere from beginners to players off of uh, anywhere between sort of one and two. So have a wide variety of experience within the game. And I just love it. I love being able to work with people uh, and, and help them. That really is the, the big thing for me. So part of the podcast here is to make sure that I bring you the most captivating uh exciting people that get you to think get you to ruminate and think about oh how am i going to be able to change my game to make it better or just sit listen 
and laugh at the fun stuff that I have to bring you. So enough about me. Let's bring you to my next guest. Uh, he is a CBS broadcaster, works with the PGA Tour on PGA Tour Live app. Uh, he's also an author. He is the director of golf at Columbus University. So before I keep rambling on about how amazing our guest is, let's bring you the next interview. So listen in and love and laugh and learn. I'll speak to you guys on the other side. So I'm here, everybody. Uh, welcome to the Golf Bubble. We're on our fourth episode now. Actually, fifth episode, I think. Uh, previously, we had Jonathan Yarwood. Great guy. Really appreciate you coming on, Jonathan. And this week, well, I am very honoured to have on the podcast uh, a broadcaster, author and golf coach. Uh, I have a Mr. Mark Immelman here. Before we have a chat, for anyone that doesn't know Mark, he runs his own amazing podcast, which is called On The Mark. Uh, I think we're probably up to, it'll probably sound like you're up to 400 and something episodes now. Uh, on The Mark is uh, in association <laughs> with the PGA Tour. So he gets some fantastic guests on there. So again, really honoured. And he's also the director of golf at uh, Columbus University, which he actually uh, played at himself. And we're going to go into that in a little bit more detail very shortly. Um, and he also provides commentary for the Golf Channel, CBS Sports, and he's a published author. I mean, <sighs> Mark, is there anything that you don't do? <laughs> you know what? Uh, as you say all of that, I've I've got to brush up my dad and my husband skills because uh, I'm so thankful to golf. It's been so good to me and my family. But it, you know, I, I've I guess what they say if you uh, if you can't be the jack of all, master of all the trades, you be the jack of some. And so, thankfully, golf has has, has blessed me and my family tremendously. Um, it's opened up doors like you couldn't imagine, and. Mm. And everything is just through my career, kind of, you know, just one thing has sort of flowed into the other. Yeah. You know, from a player to a, um, to an agent for a while with IMG. I, I lived in, in Chiswick in London and Clapham Junction for a while, worked there in, uh, in Pierre House. And from an agent, I, I got into golf teaching and golf teaching. I got into golf coaching in college. And, and then the next thing, broadcast arrived on a whim. And so... Yeah, it's it's just I've I've touched all you know all the ports and 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 I'm thankful that it's kind of uniquely qualified me for what I do now. It kind of sounds like you know you probably had a bit of a goal to start with. I mean, when you were younger, so I mean you you grew up in Somerset West in South Africa, mm -hmm. so slightly southwest of Cape Town, kind of just just south of Stellenbosch, from what I can see. Yes. Because um, I used to sell holidays or luxury tailored holidays. We used to do a lot of South Africa, so I'm familiar with some of those uh, certain areas. Mm -hmm. And you're kind of more you might write down more towards the Bay Area with some beautiful views down there. Tell us a little bit more about Somerset West. Mm, yeah, Somerset West's a quaint little town. Um, it was originally sort of founded by the Dutch settlers and Simon van der Stel, who was the original governor of the Cape after the Dutch colonized. You know, he set up a farm there called Vergelegen, which in Dutch means like lies far away. Right. And there was it, it's about 35, 40 minutes from downtown Cape Town. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's very close to the sea and you've got a range of mountains right behind you. And so we had the best of both worlds. And for a young kid growing up, it, it was it was tremendous. And then for a young athlete, it, it was the place where just there were a lot of really athletic people because we live a very outdoorsy life there in South mm -hmm. Africa. So it was rugby and tennis and cricket and I did all those sorts of things and then eventually came to golf. And so, yeah, some sort of West, it's a beautiful spot um, just over the way from Stellenbosch, like you say, and Stellenbosch is world-renowned. It starts the, the wine route and there's yep. so many beautiful wine farms and stuff. So 
you have this mix of sun and sea and mountains and land and culture and so I, I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate to have grown up in Somerset West and just away from Cape Town. So in terms of, um, in terms of golf, let, let's say, for example, uh, being younger, you know, who, who was better when they were younger? Was it yourself or was it Trevor <laughs> that was better at golf? How, how did that come about? I was better because I was I'm nine years older than him. Um, okay, that's he turned the tables pretty quickly. As a youngster, I got into golf, sort of as a 13 year old after I had a, a pretty vicious um, broken arm by way of rugby. And oh wow! Okay, we we slightly we yeah we slightly built people in playing as a scrum off. I got a guy, one of the uh, the the prop forwards fell with his knee on my wrist and broke it completely. And ouch! And so yeah to. So I had to go in to have this thing reset. And my coach then came to my parents and said, look, golf is not that. Rugby is not the thing for, for Mark. I'm actually going to advise that you stop him playing. Wow. And so this turned into some recovery from the surgery. And then one Saturday morning, my friends were going to the golf course, which was very accessible. And so I went along in the bug bits. So then I'm 13 and Trevor's four. And so I think my parents quickly realized, hold on, this is uh, easy babysitting for our youngster. Hmm. And so Trevor would tag along. And so obviously I was with him for a while and I was pretty accomplished as a junior and in college here in the United States. So I was a multiple All-American and won a few tournaments and such. But at that stage, I think it was like my second or third year in college, mm -hmm. Trevor started to come into his own. So at that stage, I would have been probably 22-ish um, right. because I went, I did two or a year and a half in the South African military. And uh, so if I was about 22, Trevor's, what, about 14 or so? And he had won the World Junior Championship. And, you know, all of a sudden, he, he came up and we were equals. And But it, there was always something special about him. You know, I was a mm. good player, but he had that it, whatever it is. And so that's when the tables turned for a while. So, yeah. so I had the best of him until he was about 14, I would say. I mean, would you say you were... Uh a natural golfer it's one of those phrases that everyone always kind of puts out there you know someone had to work ridiculously hard to get good at something by the rep of what form of repetition which is something that we have to do anyway you know in in any sport but i hate the word talent were you did you feel like a natural player you know shaping the ball having that feel to be able to play the game or is it something that you really had to train hard into yourself you know what that's a good question and and Athletics, sports sort of came to me easily. Um, my father was a very successful athlete, a gymnast, in fact, and a good rugby player. And, and so I excelled at every sport I played. So I guess there was some athletic inclination there. Mm -hmm. But I never had a golf lesson. So everything I knew was just by sheer trial and error. Right. And then back in the day then, so that's sort of 1983, 1984, my dad bought a John Jacobs DVD, uh, not DVDs, vcr tape series back then yeah yeah and so what i learned about golf i learned from dr john and um so that was the only sort of instruction i ever got and then mm. i worked to make some some um some spending money in our local pro shop okay and the club professional there robbie chapman he sort of gave me a tip or two but it was never anything really formal so you know i would sort of say i had to work hard because that's kind of all I knew and I loved the game quickly. So I loved to mm -hmm. practice and I loved to play, but it, it came easy-ish, but you know, that's <laughs> looking back, it came easy, but it was also difficult. So, yeah. so, so it's a really good question, but I would say that, you know, because of athleticism and athletic 
um, savvy, I guess. Picking up the game was easy and sort of excelling initially was easy. But mm. then to take it to the next level, that's where it became difficult. I think that was something that I really found from getting down to sort of a one handicap. And, and when you, I, mean, I remember playing two to two and a half years full time as an amateur, you know, as you, as you do, you say full time, you know, you work in the pro shop or you work at the local bar or wherever, you know, to get the money to come in so you can fund yourself to play and, and taking something that's like an extreme hobby to then turning into your job was, was hugely different um, and, and, and a massive change. And then you actually realize that, you know, when you've got to be standing over five foot putts for an hour every single day, you know, to get that repetition and consistency, it can get pretty lonely. And I think that was where mm. I probably envy a lot of, of guys like yourself. Um, I, I wanted to go to America and college when I was younger and I was off four at the time. And so I've done my, I'd done my SATs and then I kind of wasn't, I wasn't good enough to get into that level one. You know, you've got to be at least scratch or better, even more so than that yeah. these days. Um, I mean, you're a three-time All-American. You won two national championships. Um, <laughs> what, what, what kind of hard work goes into that? You, you probably played with some yeah. pretty decent players back in the day. Yeah, I did. Um, when I arrived at Columbus State, it was Columbus College back then, um, I was sort of the best junior player, certainly, um, in our province mm -hmm. and in the Western Cape where I was. And then there was mandatory military service and I played on the defense force local team. And okay. It was a national league. And then our national team was basically a who's who of golf. There was Ernie Els and Retief Corson. And so, wow. you know, I played on the lineup with a lot of very good golfers. And so I wouldn't say I thought that I was the bee's knees by mm -hmm. any stretch of the imagination, but I came over to college expecting to make a bit of a splash. Yeah. And I, I was slapped around my gills very fast. Mm -hmm. And I'm on a team that I thought I should be dominating. I was quickly the number four guy. Wow. And that was an eye opener to, for me, but it, it sort of galvanized my intent because I realized, you know, this opportunity in college was my only chance. And so it drove me to work and it drove me to the sacrifice required and stuff because you're right. Um, taking the game to the next level is it takes a lot of sacrifice and mm -hmm. it requires a lot of um i would say desire well not desire the just just being okay with dealing with a bunch of adversity yeah and so being in university it, it's not easy for an international coming over here because you know, there's culture change, there's not language change, but there's certainly accent change and, mm -hmm. and there's food change. And all of a sudden you've got to do your own laundry and you've got to manage your own class schedule. And, and then if you're an international without a car, that makes life very hard. So, right. so there were some struggles and stuff, but, but just like, I guess, always I realized this is my chance and I've got to work hard. Yeah. And so thankfully I did. And I played on some very good teams, but those things drove me and they lifted me to a different level. And mm -hmm. So looking back, I don't think there was any real conscious decision. It's just yeah. all I really knew. And the fact that I played with some really good golfers, all of them have went on to careers in golf. Some of them played for a while um, from Argentina and wherever they were from, um, Canada. It, it, it lifted me as a player. So looking back, in as much as what it was challenging, I think there was a lot of blessing in the fact that you, I played on a good team and, and they drove me to 
to doing what was required to really get beyond my comfort zone, I guess. Yeah, definitely. I mean, in terms of um, kind of moving on to the, the, the next bit, because this is, I, I try not to go too heavy. We have got some fun stuff coming up. Um, but <laughs> okay. there's a quote that I picked up on the other day uh, after having a, a, a brief chat with yourself and, and listening to uh, another conversation. Um, every person I have on board, I always kind of pick a little quote whether it's on Facebook and I have to go and find that quote or I have to go and find that piece of information they put <laughs> oh, out there. Um, okay. here's, here's, here's the quote I picked up on. I'd like you to kind of briefly explain this to where, where this came from uh, to, to, to our listeners. Our responsibility is to be custodians of the game to give to the next generation. Where, where did that come from? Is that something in yourself? Was it something that you read? Where, where did that quote come from? <laughs> did I say that? I say that? <laughs> you wow, did indeed. That, that sounds that sounds awfully smart. Um, well, the truth of it is, I think the con- to put some context behind the quote may be helpful. Um, I believe I was asked the question, you know, being a golf instructor, which I am sort of deep down, even though I'm announcing and golf analysm, well, being an analyst is, is sort of my main job. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's It's occurred to me through the years that, there's a lot of responsibility in being a teacher. Mm-hmm. And I think sadly, a lot of golf teachers or struck instructors or coaches, to a large extent, a lot of us are failed players. Okay. You know, people that had designs on playing at the highest level. Yeah. And then it didn't pan out. So you get into the next thing, which is being a club pro or being a manager at a golf course or whatever mm-hmm. the case might be. So I had designs on playing at the highest level and then I couldn't beat my brother at age 14 and so that sort of scuppered that some and so i became i tried it all i caddied for a bit and i was an agent for a bit and then i got into golf instruction but it was always my bent you know i was always interested in teaching right and um my dad said to me when i was a, when i was a kid four or five years old i'd said to him i wanted to be a teacher when i grow up and the more i've taught the more i've realized ben that there's a huge responsibility to being a teacher yes i mean you are you essentially molding an individual's life mm-hmm. whether it's golf or, or math or whatever you're teaching and so from that point of view i think people who get into this line of work need to understand that they have they are custodians yeah and you can't approach this craft willy-nilly whatsoever no. there's the, there's a you are in charge of someone's life and you can sort of define where they go mm. and you can you have an you've got your fingerprints on their future to a certain extent. Yeah, definitely. And then from, from golf, from the golfing point of view, everyone is talking about growing the game. Mm-hmm. And the truth of it is golf's hard and people enjoy the game for a little while when they're beginning and they're struggling along and they're drinking a few beverages or whatever. Mm-hmm. But once the bug bites, you want to bite, you want to get better. Yeah, And if you're getting bad advice from someone, you'll quick, quickly move away from the game because it's costly. It takes time. Mm-hmm. If you're struggling, you'll be like, I, I don't need this. It's, it's one and of so, the toughest. Uh, it's, I would say it's one of the uh, coming in there. I say it's one of the toughest sports uh, one to master. But it was something that I listened to. I'm a big advocate of, uh, of Tony Robbins since I was 11 years old. Uh, a yes. lot of the listeners know I do kind of come up with some of his quotes and, and things over the years. And, <laughs> and listening to Tony, you know, you kind of went through the three scales of people. You know, you had the uh, the first one, you've got the giver upper. You then got the stressor and you've got the master. You've got those three different categories of people. And 
when you've got the, I think you, I'm the middle one, <laughs> <laughs> the stressor. So I, I quickly go through one. it. So that you've got the giver upper. So they start a golf lesson. They haven't played before. They get slightly better. They get really excited, and then they get to their second or third lesson, and then they go down a bit. You know, they get worse to get better, but because they get worse, they give up. So then they stop playing, and then you get the second mm-hmm. person, which is the stressor, which you know takes two steps up. They take one step down, and they kind of go back up again, but they plateau. And when they plateau, they get stuck there for a little while and they're getting frustrated. They get more frustrated. But even though they stress and they get frustrated, they actually will get better and they they break through to that next level. And they'll spend their most yeah. of their lives being the stressor. They'll keep plateauing. They'll go down. They'll get stressed and they pop back up again. But then you'll get the master. And I don't know if you're a big advocate of... Um, of, of martial arts for example you listen to the karate kid and he goes oh daniel son to be expected you know and he says yeah. when you hit that when you hit the the master they hit that plateau and then they don't get stressed because they expect yeah. the plateau to happen um mm-hmm. did you ever work with any kind of players on any different scales any any kind of masters that you what you've worked with in the past that kind of have that master scale they kind of expect it and they've got a good mind frame with that Yes, I have. But then to a certain extent, I've also worked with the stressors, if you will. And I wasn't joking. I guess I sort of fit into that. But now with the luxury of, I don't know, I'm 50 and I've been teaching golf since I was about 26. So that's okay. 24 years of it. Wow. Um, I think I've progressed to the master level a little bit because I've just learned the real nature of the game. Mm-hmm. And and you've you've taught me something with these three levels of people because I can see this. Yeah. Um, so, so yes, I've worked with folks and, and I think that level of mastery comes with an acceptance of self mm-hmm. and that level of mastery comes with an understanding of the environment in which you're participating. Yeah. And then that level of mastery also comes with the fact that the whole thing is a journey mm-hmm. and golf is the ultimate, not a destination thing, because I've, I've learned this too, by happenstance that from announcing golf in the PGA Tour, you see that even the masters, the the best of the very best, mm-hmm. there's variation in their results. Right. But what there's not variation in is their approach to their work, their approach to um, who they are, their approach to the competition. Mm-hmm. And you find more and more young people coming out going, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. And that's sort of a tigerism, but, yeah. but it, it sort of fits with that mastery level where, it's not capitulation by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. They give their best. And I think sometimes a lot of folks get grilled by the social media glitterati and and the folks that are awfully critical, in my opinion, where mm-hmm. they're critiquing someone because he doesn't have the fire in the belly. Yeah. And I'm like, these folks do. They're just okay with it not working out today. But that does not mean that they're going to go back and really continue to invest in themselves. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that I try and guide young Moena golfer, but certainly really aspirant golfers to under, the understanding of is that you've got to understand that there, there's no straight lines to success. Yeah. You know, there's ups and there's downs and there's ebbs and there's flows and such. And it's the nature of what you do. And you should never allow it to define your mindset to it. Mm-hmm. And I think that sort of fits into mastery too. I think what all that being said, though, you beautifully encapsulated for me, you know, what I've, how I've grown as an instructor and as an, Mm -hmm. as a teacher also to help people to, no matter what they shoot, 
that level of mastery and understanding of self and, and acceptance of self, really. Mm-hmm. I think it was something that was kind of coined more so by uh, Dr. Deepak Chopra, um, listened to quite mm-hmm. a lot of his stuff as well. It's funny when you said about actually, um, you know, being an announcer, especially, you know, for example, at the Masters, that kind of, you know, segues onto one of my next uh, questions that I did have for you, which was um, uh, everyone kind of... Uh, has a particular funny story they bring on board to the, to the podcast. But uh, Jonathan Yarwood, actually, previous podcast, he, he brought up an interesting uh, fact about the Masters. Everyone is obsessed about the Masters. They want to know what goes on inside the ropes, what <laughs> what interesting stuff happens. And, and I remember Jonathan saying that um, you can get wine at seller price there. So, you know, you could have you could pay a thousand, two thousand dollars for a bottle of something now, but you still pay seller price. Is there any particular kind of interesting inside the ropes facts or knowledge you might have for the viewers about the Masters? Well, to build on Jonathan's point, you have to be a member to be able to get those futures prices. Right. Okay. In the seller over there. So so anyone can go in and go, yo. (laughs) Um, No. This may sound trite, but the Masters was built and founded on tradition. Mm-hmm. And to this day, they stick to the mantra and the beliefs of Clifford Roberts and Bobby Jones. Okay. And I think in, in, in a strange sort of a way, whereas they may get criticized by, you know, all in sundry because they seem like this genteel old Southern club um and and they're not getting with the 21st century the masters moves a lot of things that people don't know about right and and all of the major bodies in golf the pga tour the rna the usga all the world federation tours they wait for the masters club to make a call before they do anything because that's how influential they are And, and these guys are tremendously forward thinking um and but while they're doing that they they they're keeping the history about who mm. they are definitely and and those green jackets people i don't think a lot of folks know that the green jackets was an institution by bob jones mm-hmm. when they had the first master's invitational i think or if it wasn't the first one or it was the second one because it wasn't a major until i don't know when but it was a event that bob jones began and he invited all the great professionals yeah and the patrons as they call them you know, he called them because Bob Jones had a fantastic command of the English language. Mm-hmm. I mean, he graduated with law and, and, and honors in literature and English. Wow. And this was a smart guy, not just a good golfer. Yeah, yeah. And engineering, in fact, from Georgia Tech, too. Um, he want the patrons were milling around there and they weren't familiar with the golf course because the golf course wasn't open to everybody. Mm-hmm. So he instituted the green jacket tradition. So right. that the membership would wear green jackets and so they were just informational folks and folks to help out you know huh. some patron who might not know where they're going so 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 there's so much tradition there that is sort of lost on the thing about okay amen corner or the sandwiches at augusta national for the tournament only cost a dollar fifty and, and they're mm-hmm. so good or uh, there's 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 a lot of history in around that place that never really gets mentioned and whereas augusta national the club are moving forward all the time and doing some pretty um progressive things yeah they, that gets lost on the fact that people go oh goodness these guys haven't moved out of 1935 just yet but they have <laughs> and, they, and 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 those members of the club I'm, I'm thankful and fortunate to know some 
I think it was something I'm really passionate about with the the jackets, for example. I I went to, you talk about tradition, I went to an ex-naval school. So we we, we used to call ourselves old Pangbornians. So when you left the school, you could buy, uh, uh, you know, like a a striped sort of blazer or a particular kind of tweed or whatever type of blazer it is. So then we had Founders Day. So every time, you know, when you left, you could go back every year and you'd wear your jacket, you wear your blazer and everyone knows that you used to go to the school. And and those kind of traditions, it's interesting you say that, you know, with all the glitz and the glamour of golf and money these days, that that kind of stuff gets left behind. And, and I think those kind of things need to be brought back. Um, moving on to some some funnier stuff. I, wanna, I, I just I just want to add one real fast. If this yeah, is okay. sure. Um, I've I've been fortunate enough to go there a few times and I'm related to a master's champ, but I know of a number of the members there and, mm-hmm. and the place is beautifully encapsulated by one of the members who says to me, he goes, in as many times of what I've come to this place, I always feel like I've jumped the fence. He goes, this place is so special mm-hmm. and there's so much to it. And the more you're around there, the more you understand the real meaning of what the Augusta national golf club is about and what the masters yeah. club is about. Here's a member who's been a member for a long, long time. He says to me, he goes, each time I drive down Magnolia lane, it's just as special as the last. And that wow. that speaks volumes to me about what the place is. Wow, that's um, even for someone <laughs> that, that's been there for many, many years. That's, yeah. that's incredible. And um, I, I think that's why I think people say, you know, pay three and a half, four thousand pounds, five thousand, yeah. whatever pounds, you know, to, to go on holiday, to go and watch the practice days and things. Um, it does sound like it's it's definitely worth the value. It's one of those unforgettable <laughs> kind is. of experiences. So if you can pay to get in, then definitely do it. No matter if it's a, a practice day or, or or a Sunday, it sounds like everything about it is just so special. It'll outdo the first time I got to go was in 1999. And I went then because we played in a college tournament in Augusta State back then. Okay. And And we won the event. And so we got tickets to go to the first practice round. Mm-hmm. And the first time I went there, I'd seen it on TV a few times. It blew everything I'd conjured up in my mind out of the water. What I'd imagined, it was better than. And there are few places, and I've been fortunate to go to a lot of places, mm-hmm. that when you sometimes when you get there, they sort of let you down because you've built stuff up in your mind. Yeah. It's and like when people say, don't don't meet your heroes, for example. Yeah, exactly you right. Might get, you might Augusta get disappointed. Will... Augusta will out Augusta National, I should say. It's not Augusta. Augusta National will outdo what you've thought. Wow! Yeah, it's uh, definitely inspired me to want to to want to get there. I've <laughs> uh, I've only ever but the biggest thing I went to is the Ryder Cup in 2010. Uh, I'm fortunate enough to live cool. fortunate enough to live two minutes around the corner from from there. I can actually walk to the 2010 probably in about 15 minutes from my house and walk around the course. But uh, unfortunately, I went on the Friday. It was a washout for the entire day, and we watched an hour oh, and 20 no. minutes of golf in the end. Oh, I remember no. I remember following Phil for about 45 minutes he dumped one in the water on the fourth or whatever fifth hole whatever it was crowd you know jeering going mad and for that hour and sort of 15 minutes that we got to watch was just more phenomenal than any football match or whatever you know you could kind of go to it was just amazing so fingers crossed get to go back to the Ryder Cup or a special tournament in the future I would like to go to a Ryder Cup in Europe I've been to a few here in the States mm-hmm. and it is, it is a spectacle. I mean, oh, yeah. when you got 50, 60, 70,000 people surrounding the first tee an hour and a half, two hours before the first tee shot is hit, 
Yep. And they're singing and chanting. It, it is bananas. I mean, it's quite the thing. We, we are crazy people. The, uh, the, 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 the Welsh <laughs> and the British, you, you know, we, 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 we are known for our drinking culture. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, um, leading on to, to the next one. Have you got any particular, uh, whether it's you playing golf, uh, this is another question I ask everybody, any particular like hilarious stories that you can think of or something weird that happened on the golf course that you can remember anything that kind of just pops into your head. <laughs> I'm sure there are hundreds. I can't think of anything right now. Um, you know, golf is one of those things where your golf ball is going to find strange places. And there was an instance, it was in the national championship, in fact. And mm -hmm. I had uh, I had a wayward tee shot and it hit this line of eucalyptus trees and fell down into some really long grass. And I remember walking in there and there was a bunch, a bunch of geese around the place and a bunch of geese droppings around the place too. <laughs> right. And uh so I get it gets pointed out where the ball is. So I look into the deep grass and it was inside of the hazard margin at the time, now the penalty area. Mm -hmm. And so you couldn't touch the hazard. Right. So I get in there and hit what I thought was the golf ball down in the grass, but it was actually some goose poop. <laughs> so, so that's probably oh, <laughs> so that's no. probably one that sticks out. Yeah, does that so, count um, as a penalty because it's an attempted shot? How does that work? No, actually, no, because you can't hit a wrong ball in a hazard. Right. Okay. So, uh, but oh, I got, no te ball but at I got all. testing the. Well, here's the thing. I got testing the surface and then I couldn't find the ball and I couldn't guarantee for sure that the ball had gone into the uh, water hazard. Right. It rattled around in the trees. Okay. And long grass everywhere. So then I had to go back to tea and play a lost ball. So it was all very disastrous. <laughs> but I do remember <laughs> what I thought was a golf ball and it wasn't. Oh, my word. I had to... Uh... I had some funny ones. I mean, my, I haven't actually said this to the listeners yet. My long, I'll, I'll do a long story short on this one. I, I play in Disney quite a lot. You love going to Disney in Florida. I love going to, 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 to there, to Orlando. It's one of my favorite places to play golf. And, um, I was playing on my own and they decided that when you get there in America, they have this rule, uh, especially when you're playing on holiday uh, or in resorts, they don't allow you to play by yourself. You have to be paired up with other people. Yeah. I got paired up with two guys. Uh, they they seemed to know each other really well. Both brothers, and they were breast implant salesmen. <laughs> and they were from Chicago, breast implant salesmen. Um, you can imagine the kind of stories that they had on the way around. It was crazy. I remember hitting a ball probably 10 yards offline on a tree-lined hole on the palm course. And I went to walk in to go and grab my golf boys. Guys, no! Oh my god! Ju I jumped out my skin. I thought it was an alligator, a snake, or something. And he's going, mm -hmm. "What are you? What are you doing?" I said, "Well, I'm just going to go and grab my golf ball. That's what we do in the UK. You know, you just go into the bushes and you pick up a golf yeah. ball. There's nothing deadly in there." And um, yeah, that was pretty scary. And then I was on the 18th hole. I was, I was play. I was three over par at the time. I was playing off the championship tees on the palm course. I was pretty proud of myself. On the 18th hole, water hazard on the right, bunkers on the left-hand side. I got an absolutely nuke one down there with a the driver. And I was halfway through my backswing. The guy started chuckling. I looked back. I managed to stop my swing. Tiger Woods, how, I don't know how I'd done it, managed to stop the swing. I looked mm -hmm. around, and I'd left some food open on the golf cart. As a family of raccoons eating my Milky Way and my yeah. blueberry muffin that I left <laughs> on, the, on the cart, I went to run over there and chase them off. They're screaming at me again. No, 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 no. They're going to bite you. They're going to bite you. Apparently, they're vicious things, raccoons. Don't go near them. Um, <laughs> that was a pretty, pretty crazy story there. Um, going away from funny stories then, have, um, have you got a favorite player? anyone that not, not not even someone you've worked with just a favorite golfer 
put aside from my brother and my daughter. Um, that's hard because you've seen I'm, so many. Yeah, and 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 I, I wouldn't say I'm friends with folks, but I'm on first name basis with a lot of really good golfers. And sure. And the one thing I can say to folks listening to this is that they're just like you and me. Mm-hmm. You know, they might seem like superheroes with what like with what they do, but they're just they're just normal folks. Yeah. Um, so with that being said, I would say that the one that really stands out to me, well, there are a handful of them. Um, you know, Rory McElroy is just a gem. He is an all-around diamond of a human being. Um, Jason Day is the same way. Yeah. Ricky Fowler is the same way. Webb Simpson, I've got so much time for. He is just 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 an immaculate soul. Um, so yeah, I, I, there are a lot of them. Um, but but I guess the one who I like to watch play the most mm-hmm. is just Rory because the game just comes so easily to him. Yeah. Now that's not discounting Dustin Johnson or Tiger Woods or, you know, my hero is Bobby Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, I've watched thousands of hours of video of all of these guys and I've been fortunate to, you know, see and call all the top 50 golfers in the world and a number of Hall of Famers. Wow. So with deference to, to Gary Player and to Ernie and to Jack Nicklaus and all these legends, I just, I love to watch Rory play because he sort of has this, almost childish abandon about him mm-hmm. and when he was young it all worked out great yeah and now that he's a little older and wiser it lasts a bit more challenging but he's met it all in his stride mm. and he's still so candid and he's still so forthcoming and he's got time for everybody and and being as note as having as much notoriety as what he has that's a challenge and and i commend him for for how well he manages everything so I, i'd hold- probably say yeah, McElroy by nose over a bunch of really good guys. Just kind of holds himself in his own. I, I remember, um, so uh, me and a good friend of mine, uh, we, I'm originally from Reading, which is in Berkshire, uh, which is very yeah. close to Oxfordshire. And I think it was part of Q School, actually. Uh, I think we were lucky enough to go and watch Roy McElroy kind of going through his, it was after the Open, because he did well at the Open as an amateur. And then he kind of went on, did his Q School, absolutely smashed everyone out of the park in Q School. He just breezed it, made it look absolutely easy. And and then kind of watching, for me, my local tournament was Wentworth. So I was so kind of blessed to be able to have, the, you know, the BMW around the corner from my house. I was probably a 40-minute drive away. And I remember watching Roy for the first time. And then he did. And I just, he has this bounce. I love the bounce when he walks, the he walks. And, yeah. and the way he walks. And he always had that. Even when he was younger, it was just this kind of like, hey, I'm just playing golf. You know, this is nothing. This is just yeah. fun. But it was his, not even just the physicality the because he's not the tallest guy and he wasn't built at that point you know he wasn't doing a massive amount Mm. of gym work but his ball striking and just the way the ball flew off the face every single shot you just you know your mouth is wide open and you just couldn't he'll turn your head you couldn't believe it and it just it for me it was kind of like scientifically it didn't make sense Obviously, it does make mm-hmm. sense, but to me, it didn't at the time. Just physically watching it, and you know, I was only off four or five handicap at the time. So watching someone like this, it does seem godlike. You know, for people that are, you know, whether you're a, a scratch golfer, you know, it takes a lot just to get from twenty eight to scratch. But then, my coach always used to say it takes the same amount of time and effort to get from twenty eight to scratch than it does from like scratch to plus four plus five, because yeah. of you know the the, the the timing and then you're just honing the skill even more and that was just something that i think he, what, what was roy mcroy what plus six or something when he turned i think when he turned I pro, something crazy but i i mean uh, 
this coincides when we recorded this it coincides with the Arnold Palmer Invitational down in Bay Hill and a few years ago I had his group and he shot the this final round of 64 to win mm-hmm. um, and it was the easiest round of golf I've ever seen ever ever and I've seen a lot of golf and yeah and to your point the the way the ball gets hit I, I'm almost thinking of any sort of a way that the game seems to have come so easy to him mm-hmm. that it's a bit of a curse. Right. And so when it doesn't work out, then you're like, well, what's going on? And, and I see that at times because he hits the ball so freely and so easily. And, and the, the, this, this elegant power he's able to generate is just mind numbing mm. that, that when stuff gets a little off, you can see him wrestling with himself because it just doesn't jive in his world. Right. And, and I think where, you know, he's going through all of this and he's figuring out who he is for Rory 2.0 when the second half of his career comes along. Mm-hmm. I think he'll come back stronger because now he's learning, you know, what someone, what a lot of folks have to work really hard at the game. Sure. Have. Because like Tiger and was one of the great, obviously, arguably the greatest of all time. Um, but Tiger had something about him where he was just going to outwork you as well. He was mm-hmm. better than you, but he was going to outwork you as well. Yeah. And now Rory's doing that sort of stuff and Rory seems comfortable with who he is. And, and so I think you, you mix those two things and he starts to get one or two bounces and one or two putts that lip in instead of lipping out. Mm-hmm. I think, I think the, the future is still very bright. Yeah, definitely. And he's got years and years ready to, 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 to carry mm-hmm. on playing. And um, you know, in, in terms of great players, have you got uh what what's your lowest round? You know, what what can you remember a particular round or your 63. lowest? Sixty three. Yeah, okay. I've shot sixty three. Where where was where was that at? Time. It was at a local golf course here in Columbus, Georgia, where I live. Um, okay. It was actually um what of course it used to be the home course for our Columbus State University team. Sadly I didn't do it when I was competing. i <laughs> I did this after I was done, but sixty three around there's a par seventy two. And uh, so it was nine under. And the funny wow. thing about it is you know, I was the grinder. Uh, I'd leave no stone unturned. I was always, you know, very correct and trying to do the right thing. And that mm-hmm. 63, we were challenged to play around in sub three hours. Oh. And I did, and I shot 63. So there was less thought. It was kind of like Rory. <clears throat> Get up there, have a look, aim, fire. You know, it, it was, there wasn't a go through the routine and do the yeah. right things and all the stuff I've read in books. We just go ahead and play, and and, uh, and I shot sixty three. Maybe wow. I should have done that more often. Who knows? Who would you say is um, someone that, that that you personally look up to? Someone that you've always kind of thought, if I was going to be like them, or I mean, we can always be like ourselves. But any particular person that stands out to you over the years? Well, without getting deeply spiritual, I would say first of Jesus. Uh, mm-hmm. And then from a golfing point of view, um, Bob Jones, I'd mentioned him. I mean, Bob Jones was learned. He mm-hmm. was academic. He was a statesman. Oh, and he also played great golf. Mm-hmm. He was a wonderful husband. And so he, he to me, encapsulated everything that I see in, in a, just a gentleman, yeah. a gentleman in the game. So, so golf is my, my medium. And so I think as far as, as behavior and standards and just level of excellence and, and even vernacular, you know, words that are used. I, 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 would str- I still strive to be like Bob Jones. Wow. 
that's pretty cool i mean that's a that's a hell of a person to to look up to and uh i mean yeah. i'm sure you know with some of the i mean we all get presented with with accolades and things over the years and it was something that jonathan yarwood said you know it's, it's nice and it's nice to be kind of presented with awards but actually it's not that's not really what it's all about and um you, you must really love just working with so many different players and it's it's nice to see you kind of then you know uh, towards the middle part of your career at Columbus you start to take on you know the ladies as well and and you're not mm-hmm. you know you don't just work with guys um is, is there any particular names or any particular talent that's coming up that that kind of is you know stands out to you right now whether they're already on the tour or someone you might work with any particular mm-hmm. names that stand out at all yeah yeah we've got a few guys that graduated through yeah that play on European tours and mini tours and the like but there are a couple of young men right now who we have that they've got the material mm-hmm. now look making on making it onto the highest tours you've got to be super special oh yes and it's not just and, and you don't just have physical gifts you have the entire package mm-hmm. and there are two young men right now the one's an australian kid called jordan Dool, mm-hmm. and the other boy is ronan clue who's from switzerland uh, european junior amateur champion in fact Wow. And they both, they both got the gift. And mm-hmm. when I say the gift, the gift of, you know, good hands and the gift yeah. of the ability to maneuver the ball and stuff. And, and they are, they are now honing their craft and they're understanding the game and, and they have the ability now, which is something I advise every young golfer. Um, if you have, if you want to play at the highest level, you've got to be able to make bad days good. Mm-hmm. Um, because I grade a golfer by how good is your score when you don't have your best stuff about you. Yeah. Because the truth is anyone can shoot a low score when everything is going right, when you get into sure. bounces and stuff. And both of them have gotten to the place now where they'll have nothing and they can still go and cobble together a day where they shoot something around par, under par, keep themselves in the tournament mm-hmm. and give themselves a fighting chance. Because if you're the kind of one, and I guess it fits into your never, your, 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 your giver uppers. Um, um, division, whatever you want to call it, kind of scale of improvement. Yeah, scale exactly. If 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 you if, if things aren't going your way and and you're still there, but you're a shell of yourself and you're just going through the motions, you'll play your way out of an, an event quickly. Mm-hmm. But these two guys will find a way to do it, and and so the future is bright for them. I I, I wish them no injury in their oh. in their future. Yeah, and I, and I wish them continued passion in the game so that they have this desire to want to get out there and work hard at it because that's really it, it's what it takes definitely you separate yourself with hard work no injuries and and a good attitude sure definitely i mean we're coming up to our 45 minutes now but we're we're just about to uh, we're not finished just yet uh, you're a busy guy so i like to kind of stick to my no, podcast yeah, kind good. of time scale so um it's it's we're just good, great to we're, it's great to have uh great to have you on board and I'm really honored to, to have such a great guest. And, um, you know, I say to all my guests, if you've got anyone that you find, uh, might be interested to come on the podcast, you know, we don't have millions of listeners like yourself. You've got over two point something million downloads or something crazy. Uh, but you know, it's you, three you, and a half, it's three, three and, and a half, half now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Damn that Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> golf is just, golfers just want to get better. I mean, that's what it is. It's, yeah. We provide a service and golfers are found it. I mean, we're Oh, for fortunate. sure. So we're kind of coming up to uh, my last section uh, that we do this on every part of the podcast. Um, so I want you to not go spiritual on me. We're going to take a nice deep breath in, prepare yourself, nice and relaxed. 
and we're going to do Ben's rapid eight ball questions. <laughs> okay, let's go. So these are rapid eight ball questions, clear minds. It's kind of like that game, you know, say the first thing that comes to your head. So this is Mark Immelman's right. rapid eight ball questions. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Okay, go. here we go. Okay, so you come home to find that your house is on fire. What item do you run in and get? My wife, and my two kids. Brilliant answer. What's <laughs> okay. one food? What's one food that you'd eat for the rest of your life if you had to? Avocados. Avocados. Interesting one. I like that. That's it. That's okay. Most people kind of I'm say heart steak healthy, like, or heart healthy. There we go. It was either okay, that. Was I, I won't turn away a steak, but, but <laughs> I won't turn away a steak. But I, I, I love avocados. I I'm still waiting for my South African steak. I've heard it's fantastic, especially around Cape Town. Mm -hmm. So, uh, next question: yeah. If you had uh, one golf club in your bag that you had to play on a course with, what would it be? You've only got one club my to putter. play around. Your putter. Yeah. I hope you can hit it pretty well off the tee with your putter. That's for sure. Well, look, I don't drive the thing very long anyway, so <laughs> play, I, I, I can really, I, I can put. And, and I'm crafty. I can use putters from anywhere on the road. So yes, that's pretty cool. Do the old VJ Singh, turn it round and, and knock it in exactly. differently. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, who's the most famous person that you've ever spent time with? And it doesn't even have to be golf. Any any particular person? I've spent time with a couple of U.S. presidents. Wow. Um, Bill Clinton, nice. George Bush, Donald Trump. Wow. So I don't know. I mean, Tiger Woods. Uh, I don't, Tiger is certainly more famous than them. Now, when I say spend time, I haven't gone out for drinks with them. You know, this sure. has been interviews and, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, just so, any yeah. any kind of general interaction. That's that's pretty awesome. The the presidents that definitely beats James Hong. I'm sorry, James. Um, <laughs> James, James had JFK Jr. On, on that one. So it wasn't a president, but hey, it was a junior. Um, if you could pick a song to walk out to on the tee uh, for every event, what would it be? Kind of like a boxing, you know, what's what's your song? Yeah, I was asked this the other day. Um, and golf will drive you crazy, and I and I love Metallica. Metallica, so I would okay. Probably call it. I call it Sanitarium by Metallica. Interesting. I was golf have driven me halfway nuts. I was expecting whiskey <laughs> in the jar or something to be coming out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, now look, I, I like their version of that one. Thin Lizzy did that okay, but I, li I like their version of whiskey in the jar. It's good. Great version. If no one's ever listened to that one, do give it a listen. Mm. Um, you're stuck on a desert island. Who would you want to be there with you? my wife and i'm not trying to earn points no no definitely not you're not in the doghouse so it's all good um if you could bring <laughs> if you could bring one musician back from the grave to watch live who would it be Ooh, wowza that's so hard i love david bowie mm -hmm. um i'm gonna sound crazy but you know i'm fascinated by mozart and handel okay but i would probably have to go with i'd probably have to go it's a toss-up between Freddie Mercury and Jimi Hendrix. That's pretty awesome. Uh, they're, they're pretty much the two top ones on my list and George Michael. Uh, good old James Hong, he had George Michael on Oh, there, goodness, so. yeah, I didn't even think about that, yeah. yeah there's so, no, there's well, so many I mean, to list, but one of the greatest yeah. singer-songwriters of all time, I think, personally. Um, but no, yeah. good, 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 good little list there. Um, and your last quick-fire question. What's your most common nickname? In school, I was called Impy. Okay. Em Immelman was short, and in there's the Zulu warriors in South Africa back in the day were called Impies. Okay. I M P I. But nowadays, um, everyone calls me M I. 
Uh, I don't know where that came from. So that's kind of a variation of it. My company name is Emmy. So I think, so, so MI is probably what I'm called the most by folks. MI. I just think people are so lazy the these days. They can't, they don't have the syllables in the air to be able to say someone's proper name. But uh, my, my, yeah, I had. Well, look, I mean, try and pronounce Immelman five times fast. It can <laughs> fail. So MI is, <laughs> MI is easy. It's like trying to say red, uh, red lorry, yellow lorry really fast. No chance. No chance. <laughs> and I'm in broadcast. And I'm supposed to breathe and see my vis visceral language is what we talked about. You've got to see okay. your words and see punctuation and you've got to speak with proper inflection, but there's still no chance with all of my breathing and stuff that I could get that done. My TV voice and my podcast voice are different, by the way. They are hugely different. Um, I think when I first listened, mm. I listened to your podcast uh, last week for the first time um, me being a typical person trying to find the most coolest person I can. I don't know why I um, scrolled straight down to Butch Harmon for the first one to listen to. Uh, that was quite, it was, that was fast. That was funny. That was very yeah, funny. Was that was funny. And good. It. Yeah. It's very difficult to be funny. Yeah, but, uh, I, I spend when I'm around him, I spend more time giggling at him. You know, he's so <laughs> insightful and he makes, and, and he makes, and he makes complex and complicated subjects just seem so, easy to understand and mm. he does it with a twinkle in his eye which is which is good fun is there any particular person sort of a last question with i mean you've done so many episodes now um what not even a particular person actually what what do you like most about doing your podcast i believe if you st if you're not learning you're dying and i know that sounds a bit harsh but but, mm -hmm. but life is life is about learning life is about growing life is about not staying where you are and so i enjoy the fact that this podcast gives me kind of the excuse to just talk with folks who i think are you know smarter than me yeah and, and just hear their take on stuff and so i and i never really interview people I, I more just talk with them um and i try and mine information out of them so i love the fact that i get to talk to, with a, with a number of these folks and and learn from what they're not maybe what their principles might be or what their philosophy might be, but just, mm. just to learn their takes on certain things and see yeah. how they approach challenges and subjects and whatever the case might be. So, so it's just getting to speak to a different, a bunch of different people, honestly. You sound like a guy who's very much in the belief of the road to someday leads to a town called nowhere. <laughs> yeah, I guess if you put it that way. Yeah. Um, well, that's the thing. Life is a, you know, life can be mundane for folks if you wake up and you're like same grind. But but if you go through that grind every day mm. and you just take time to, to to look at the miraculous things around you, things that you take for granted, uh, I, I think, you know, you'll realize you're on the road to some way, even though it all seems like you're on a hamster wheel. Mm. And so, yeah, I, 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 I like what you're saying there, <clears throat> but I still believe that everyone has a purpose. Mm. And if, if you choose to look whatever you're doing right now if you just tend just look a little wider don't get too singular in your focus and, sure you know, i think people will be pleasantly surprised with with what they get to experience Definitely. and and also i mean people can listen to me and say well you've met these folks and talked to these folks and interviewed these golfers and stuff you know there's a shadow side to everything i do as well you know it's late night travel um time away from home all this sort of stuff but my job is just my job and yeah. if and i could have a bad attitude about it and if i did it would suck yeah you know just like anyone else who might be working in an office so so i know for sure whether i'm an announcer or whether i'm a 
you know, street sweeper. Uh, try and look for the best in everything you do. Let's let's finish off then. If you weren't going to be in golf, what job would you do? <laughs> Don't know if I'm qualified to do anything. Um, you know, I never really thought about that because somehow I just fell into golf. Um, mm. But I'm. I'll tell you this much. I wouldn't say envy is the right word, but I I admire folks in finance. Okay. And when I listen to these financiers talk, I'm like, dang, you guys are so smart. Yeah. I wish I had some of your your, your savvy. So I don't I don't think I could do the job, but I, I'd like to be in one of those sorts of roles. They seem important to me, and they seem smart, and they seem like they've got everything that I don't. That's pretty cool. I mean, uh, I'm big into stocks right now. I'm, I've been obsessing over them over the past 12 months, lockdowns and all mm -hmm. sorts. So I just thought, like everyone else, pick up a new hobby, try and learn something new. And, and as you say, if, if we're not learning, we're dying. And and that's a, a, a big part, not even just about learning different things, you know, not even just learning knowledge, but actually just learning more about ourselves. And I think we've definitely all yeah, had plenty of time to be able to learn more about ourselves. So um, let's, let's, let's wrap it up there. We could talk for hours. Mark, you've been an amazing guest. Um, before we finish, is there any, uh, I let everyone plug something. I mean, you, 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 you put yourself out there quite a lot, but is there anything you'd like the listeners, anything cool you've got coming up, anything you want to plug just to let them know about yourself? Yeah. Uh. Nothing really to plug. If you want to check out the podcast, um, just go and search for On The Mark Golf, wherever mm -hmm. you search for podcasts, and you can okay. get there. And, and, we, and we're working right now on turning it into a vodcast. So there'll be images um, down the road. And this is all a function of Nick Faldo, who, when he talks, he uses sounds. And mm -hmm. whenever I'm with him, he's demonstrating. When he announces, I can see him demonstrating as he's talking about how the shot should be hit. So, right, okay. so it's guys like him that... It's guys like him that I feel like if we added a video element to what we do with the On The Mark podcast, it would just, it would bring more gold to the listeners. So, so mm -hmm. look out for that down the track. That sounds awesome. I'd, uh, I'm definitely going to be tuning in myself. Um, so yeah, thank you very much, Mark Immelman. Uh, you know, I think everyone's yeah. going to give the old uh, round of applause at home. Really appreciate you coming on board and, uh, you know, it'd be great to, to stay in touch. And if you've got any uh, interesting and fun people that you think might want to come on the podcast, send them my way and I'll uh, give them the old uh, personal interview and, and get into the, the heads of the people I like to talk to, which is what it's all about here at the Golf Bubble. So thanks again, Mark. And I will uh, hopefully maybe see you or meet you in the near future sometime. Yeah, I look forward to it. And I just want to say that, you know, podcasting, it's one of those things that everyone seems like they're podcasting now, and it's not as easy as folks think it is. No, it's not. And so I, 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 I'm honored to be on your show. I, I love the fact that you're getting into this and I wish you every success. It, it'll grow into something big because you've got, you're onto something good here. I really appreciate that. I know for someone that's got a lot of, a lot of episodes and is very good at what they do, you know, I guess that's a, a big compliment. So I'll definitely make sure that I keep bringing some amazing content like you brought today and, and brought to the table. And, you know, part of my job here is just ask the questions and hopefully try and bring some laughs at some point. So no, I really appreciate it, Mark. And, uh, you know, we'll uh, definitely chat soon. Take care. Take care. See you soon. Well, there it is, Mark Immelman. Uh, wow, what an interview that was. Uh, Mark, again, thank you so much for your time. That was awesome. So many little nuggets for you guys out there, uh, little learning experiences and, and some cool information there about the Masters and, and plenty of other uh, events on tour and, and things that happen, you know, behind the scenes. And again, that's what it's all about here at the Golf Bubble. If you've got anybody that you think, 
would love to come on the show. Uh, they could be anyone in the golf industry, you know, even if they're, they don't have to be super famous. They don't have to be, you know, on Instagram, online or on the television. There's so many unique people out there. And I feel very much similar to what Mark says in, in many of his podcasts is, um, you know, to, to listen and, and feel like, you know, they're the person that's learning from the person that's talking at the time and being interviewed because we don't know everything. Uh, you know, after 20 years in this game, I'm still so far behind so many people uh, with the amount of learnings and the amount of information that you need to take on board with this game. So again, listeners, follow, like, share, subscribe, get involved. You can find me online, Ben Harvey Golf Performance. Uh, you can also find me if you're local to the South Wales area or somewhere around Wales or very close to it. Or maybe you might want to travel for a golf lesson just to come and pick my brain come and find me at ridgeway golf club in Caerphilly in south wales and you'll also find me online at ben harvey golf performance i'm also on twitter at ben golf coach and many other places online so do get involved subscribe like comment and i want to hear from you guys you know i'd love to hear your comments Maybe tell me who you want to be on the show and I'll make sure I contact them and do the best I can to entice them onto the microphone and have a lovely interview. So, guys, thanks again for listening. And I'm pretty sure I've got another fantastic guest coming for, from, for you on the next episode. I'll speak to you guys very soon. Again, stay safe. Happy golfing.